welcome to another episode of Shocking, Lord Tawdry, A History of American Scandal. I'm your co-host, Casey Howe. And I'm your other co-host, Mark Pikert. And today, it's my turn to tell you a story that reverberates throughout history. Ooh, a historical one. Interesting. Uh, well, historical That's in that it was in the 50s. I love it. There you go. Okay, I like it. That was almost like 100 it. years ago. <laughs> so true. So true. Oh my I think goodness. about Just this like that. a lot because uh, I've got one coming up from the silent era. And it's like, he was a big star in the 20s. And I'm like, oh my God, that was 100 years ago. And then I think about the fact that when I started getting into film, it was the 90s. And it did not seem that long ago. Right. <laughs> right. And all of a sudden, it's like, this is a 100-year-old film you're watching. That's like, true. Time. It just passes. I know. It's a quirky little thing, time. You never know. Uh, it really is. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly <laughs> losing it. <laughs> oh, so true. We're just throwing it away left and right as we speak. Uh, yep. There we go. Another <laughs> second that we'll never get back. <laughs> I think about that. All of that. you listening to us. <laughs> yeah, sorry. What are you doing? <laughs> I think about that all the time with uh, with movies, like the lost time where I'm like, I want that part of my life back because Babel was not worth it. Not oh, worth it. You know what? I want those three and a half or four goddamn hours. I was like, <gasps> thank you for bringing up Babel because no one talks about that movie anymore. And I feel like you bring it up fairly frequently. I do. I do. I really, I'm really, it it really got me and I still hold that anger. I have not worked through that. It's next on my list with my therapist, the anger towards Babel. We had a few things to cover ahead of time, but I think we've gotten there now. It's time to work on that. (laughs) Just to be clear about how much I respect my time. uh, We are currently in the process of watching all of the Friday the 13th movies in order. Ooh, that's fun. How many are there? Uh, a lot. <laughs> Twelve. We have watched three. Okay. Now, are you? Do- I'm assuming you're doing an order of like story, not yep. necessarily an order of time frame, or do they all go in sequence? They all go in sequence. And actually, okay. one of the cool things about Friday the Thirteenth is they so two picks up five years after one, okay. and three picks up the next day. Oh, all right. And I think, and I think four is the day after that. Interesting. Yeah, I've never watched any of them because I can't handle scary movies. But they, wow. Okay, so a lot happens in a day. Oh, when you're <laughs> at Camp Crystal Lake, yes. They just get right down to business. I like it. Now uh, is Friday the Thirteenth the one with the mask? Mm-hmm. Okay. But fun fact, the hockey mask that Jason is known for does not make an appearance until the third installment. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Spoiler alert. Does he have another mask that he that he uses? Again, no, I don't watch these movies clearly. So now I'm just like, can you tell me about Friday the 13th so I don't have to watch it? Of course. <laughs> I'm happy to. Uh, famously, he does not make an appearance as the Jason we know in one at all. The killer is his mother. Hmm. 
again, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in two, he's wearing a Sorry, burlap guys. sack tied over his head with a, an eye hole cut out. Oh, like that Batman villain. That bat. That right? Didn't he have yeah. that some sort of like bag head thing? Sure. I don't. Know. Sure. Okay. Batman. <laughs> Unless it's Adam West, I probably don't care. <laughs> I only care about Catwoman in all her incarnations, except Anne Hathaway. That's fair. She was a disgrace. Not interested. After Pfeiffer? After Pfeiffer? <laughs> How God. dare you, Anne? How dare you? And they were going to make a whole Catwoman movie starring Michelle Pfeiffer. They had a script written, and it never happened. Why not? She's still around. Let's uh, do it. Let's do it. Why not well, now? I would watch it Jesus. on her Instagram. Jesus she's always getting the whip ever. out. Yes, she Good is. Have you seen French Exit yet? No, I that just oh, made me Casey. think of it. I know I have to. I wonder how I can get. It. I bet I can get it on Amazon, right? I'll just. I'll oh, you can. It. You can rent it now. Oh, perfect. I'll do that. Yeah, I remember it wasn't. I was hard to find for a while, but yes, that was on my list. There was another one that I was supposed to watch. I can't remember. Oh, I think I did that one. Okay, but yes, no, I was like. Anything with Michelle Fett. Yes, I'm in. Yep. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Underrated. Agreed. She should have an Oscar by now. Along oh. with Annette Benning. Oh my gosh. I mean, when, how many wonderful performances are enough for you, Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Talents? How many? How many? Give me the number. Give me the number. What's the number? Ugh. I mean. So true. Well. I'm here today to tell you about another, you thought all this was just mindless banter? It was, but I'm going to tie it back into my time. Full circle. Here we go. I'm going to, I'm today going to tell you the story of an Oscar nominated actress famous for her heyday in the golden age of Hollywood, an MGM star at the studio where they had more stars than there are in heaven. I'm here today to tell you about Lana Turner. <gasps> oh my gosh, yay! Oh, I'm very excited. And specifically, the, the Good Friday evening, April 4th, 1958, when Lana Turner was being abused by her gangster boyfriend, Johnny Stampanato, and her 14-year-old daughter, Cheryl Crane, stabbed him once and watched him die. Ooh, good job, Cheryl. Like, why not? Why not? Just no need to overexert. Just once is good. Just yep. let him let him lay there. <laughs> you know what? Always trust your first impulse. That's true. That's uh, true. Uh, are you familiar oh with the story? I am not. No, no, no. I only know. Um, this is this. I think I've said this before on this podcast, but I think this is a fun part of of the podcast is that I rarely know anything about your scandals and you know more about mine but because you're smart very but, rarely uh, <laughs> usually I can toss in something that you're like oh, I didn't know that part yeah but the um but yes no I know I'm like the worst with with old Hollywood stuff I just sort of never dove in so I'm always excited to hear and learn because I know like of Lana Turner and the myth of Lana Turner and how big she was and all of that but no I don't know any of the the fun backstories and everything. So I'm excited. I had a motorcycle backfiring on my street and I had to hit mute. (laughs) Don't they know this is Lana Turner's hour. (laughs) Uh, So 
Lana Turner was dating gangster Johnny Stampinato and her 14-year-old daughter stabbed him once and he died almost immediately. And the press was very respectful of this shocking tragedy. I hear it. No, it's cool. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's authentic. There's, authentic. There's that motorcycle. Welcome to New York City, bitches. <laughs> you went and moved to New York City? Here's what you're in for. <laughs> Uh, but the press was very respectful of this horrible tragedy. They certainly did not make this into something worse than it was. They did not accuse Lana Turner of making her teenage daughter take the fall for her. Uh, they did not claim that there was more to the story because Johnny Stampinato's gangster friends said they didn't trust Lana Turner. I'm sensing some sarcasm uh, here. <laughs> yes, there is that sarcasm of, for which I am famed. Uh, it was oh no, a disaster. It could not have gone worse. But we're going to get to that. <laughs> First of all, Lana Turner looms large in Hollywood, not necessarily for the movies that she made, although there are many that are worth checking out. Uh, her best early movie is The Postman Always Rings Twice, where she seduces a drifter played by John Garfield into murdering her husband. And the genius move that the movie made was they costumed her all in white. For the whole thing? So for the whole thing, <gasps> uh, until Ooh, the end, cool. because it's like disguising her evilness in virginal colors. And she makes an entrance in a halter top, short shorts, bare-legged with a white turban amazing and from that moment you're like oh yeah i totally get why john garfield would absolutely kill any man who stood between you and him yeah it's a steamy pot boiler i'm here to tell you Ooh, okay on the uh, list but before that i mean lana turner probably now is most famous for being the sweater girl uh and right. her in her motion picture debut she played a rape victim who is raped and murdered in the first quarter of the film and she's introduced walking down the street in a tight sweater sans bra Kate. which got a lot of attention and she's also the perpetuator of the discovered at the on a bar stool at schwab's drugstore myth right okay okay which is not true uh, i'm assuming which is not true and she's also her early career is her playing an ingenue a lot. Uh, she is interesting. She's gorgeous. Uh, but she's like many of the other 40 stars who kind of calcified into a much harder version of their younger selves in the 50s. It's mm -hmm. a very, she's very shellacked. Her hair is enormous. It's impenetrable. And she found a second career in these very over-the-top Technicolor melodramas. Peyton Place, she was Oscar-nominated for. Uh, Imitation of Life was a big, big hit. She did a whole bunch of those. And she was famous for the men in her life. Not because they were that interesting, but because there were so many. She was married, I think, seven times, including to everyone's favorite starter husbands, Mickey Rooney and Artie Shaw. No, Mickey Rooney <laughs> did not marry her. Artie Shaw did. Okay. He married everyone. You always like to but just, you know, get them going. Turner, just get them going. You know, you know, Ava Gardner, who are just, you know, go ahead. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, 
Judy Garland was in love with him. Uh-huh. You know, classic. Uh, but as Lana Turner herself once said, I find men terribly exciting. Any girl who says she doesn't is an anemic old maid, a street walker, or a saint. <laughs> okay, sure. So she's owning this. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite, like, possibly apocryphal stories is she had a torrid love affair with Tyrone Power, uh, who I think she might have considered to be the love of her life. Uh, whether or not he was entirely heterosexual is up for debate, uh, but she was very much in love with him. And then new French suck siren, Corinne Calvert, shows up in town and all the men are flocking to her at this party. And Lana Turner grabs a pot of coffee and walks around refilling people's cups. And she presses it against Corinne's bare arm and goes, coffee? <gasps> oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. good job, Lana. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but as a woman who as a woman who loves men, she is particularly vulnerable at a certain stage in her life in the mid fifties. She's no longer on contract with MGM. Her career is not going great. Uh, she's about to make Peyton Place, which is going to completely turn the tides for her. But she's very vulnerable. She's getting older. I mean, older. She's not even forty yet. But it's Hollywood in the 50s. My God, if you're over 30, you're done. Gasp. Might as well or just kick the bucket. You're, <laughs> you're going the Joan Crawford route and just making these very strange movies. So she's not feeling great. And her daughter is acting out a lot. She's running away from home. Uh, she's, she's just, they're not in a good place. They're on friendly terms, but they're not close. Like a mother and daughter ostensibly usually are. Mm -hmm. So when a wealthy gentleman named John Steele starts wooing Lana out of the blue, she is more than receptive. He's sexy, he's virile, he's tan and dark, hairy chest, like just a sex on a stick, honestly. <laughs> he's getting her flowers, he's taking her out for dinner. Uh, he says that he's uh, 38. No, I think he says that he's 48. Uh, regardless, he has lied about everything. He's actually Johnny Stampanato, a gangster who works oh. with Mickey Cohen. Oh, and he okay. is 32, which puts him five years younger than Lon. Got it. Okay. So they have a very sexy affair and things pretty quickly start to disintegrate. And at first it's just him being really possessive of her time. Uh, that kind of escalates into him being insanely jealous. They're constantly fighting, they're breaking up. Again, like this is very typical of the era in Hollywood stars. I mean, Ava Gardner and Frank Sinatra are constantly throwing crockery at one another. Mm -hmm. uh, it is not unheard of during this era of heavy boozing to get into fisticuffs Yes. with your romantic partner. Right. Uh, things kind of get darker though. She goes to England to make a movie with Sean Connery. He shows up on the set and starts threatening Lana and Sean Connery knocks him out. Literally punches him unconscious. And he <gasps> oh my gosh, really? <gasps> yeah. No oh yeah. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> I love it when people get knocked unconscious. <laughs> But you get and this comes back, this comes back to bite Lana in the ass because she is still kind of under his sexual spell. 
as so many of us have been God. there before. Mm, who hasn't? Like he's obviously a terrible, scary guy, but she is lonely. He obviously really wants her, and that can sure. take you a long, long way. Until it doesn't. So she's very aware that she needs to sever all ties. She's also writing him love letters simultaneously. Got it. That's not going to go well for her during the trial. <gasps> right. Yes. That which right. is coming. <laughs> the so trial, you say. She the oh final gosh. straw comes when she's Oscar nominated for Peyton Place. And Johnny Sampanato says, I can't wait to go with you. And she said, I'm not taking you. I'm not taking my abusive gangster boyfriend to the biggest night of my career. I'm not going to win, but I'm not going to embarrass myself in front of Hollywood by bringing you. I'm bringing my mother and my daughter. He is enraged by this, but she kind of just doesn't care. Okay. So she gets a bungalow at the Beverly Hilton, I believe. She gets a hotel, like she mm -hmm. and her mother and her daughter go. She loses, but she gets to present an award and she's delighted at, at being accepted back into the Hollywood community. Sure. Peyton Place was a big hit. Like this is going well for her, except for this like scary guy who uh, later that night threatens to cut up her face so that no one would ever love her or hire her again. Oh, okay. Uh, she puts her daughter, she says goodnight to her daughter. She goes into her room. Johnny Stampanato is there. I don't know when he got there. Uh, and he starts beating her. Yeah. And she's still wearing her heavy diamond earrings. <gasps> so those are slamming into her face. She knows, like, in yeah. her lizard brain, as this starts to happen, she knows that she needs to take the earrings off and she cannot do it in time. <gasps> so he's punching her in the face. The earrings are digging into her skin it's brutal she by the time it's over she just crawls into bed still fully dressed oh. passes out she wakes up he's still there i think he finally leaves that morning and she realizes that this has got to end uh earlier she and johnny stampanato had she had rented a house and she was buying some housewares and she and johnny stampanato had gone shopping and they purchased a new set of steak knives. <laughs> okay. These will steak figure knives, later. you say? Yes. That's just a little tidbit. It has no bearing on anything that's no, about to happen. Just steak knives, pots and pans, you know, the usual thing. All freshly sharpened. Now, I missed everything that you said. I don't know why. Oh, no. I'm that's sure it was hilarious. Whatever. Uh, so let's take a brief pause here to also say that Lana is not afraid of shitty men. Earlier, she was married to former Tarzan Lex Barker. Lex was an extremely attractive guy, very affable, uh, except that 13-year-old Cheryl finally told her that Lex had been raping her for years. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. So the first thing Lana does is take her daughter to a doctor to confirm that this is happening. And when the doctor confirms it, Lana gets a gun, walks into her bedroom, and stands <gasps> over sleeping Lex Barker. She held the gun to his head 
And then according to Cheryl Crane's memoir, Detour, she thought, is this bastard worth the rest of my life in prison? The end of my career, everyone's life ruined. So she puts, she leaves the room, she puts the gun away. And the next morning she tells Alexia to get the fuck out. Oh my gosh. Oh Lord. So then consider the irony that two years later, it was another lover at the wrong end of a weapon held by Cheryl on a night that would end in a scandal that almost ruined both their lives. Oh my gosh. Okay. Both of them address the scandal in their respective memoirs. Lana's is Lana, the lady, the legend, the truth. Which <laughs> as celebrity, as Hollywood glamour girl memoirs go, she does not really spare anyone, even herself. It's really very, very good. I highly recommend it. Uh, she did not make that many movies that we talk about now. She made enough to make it worthwhile for that. But more importantly, she just lived a big old life and she's really? very upfront about her own failings. She did not tell the Lex Barker story and she did not spend a lot of time on Johnny Stampinato because those were Cheryl's stories. She wanted that to be Cheryl's story. To oh, tell. interesting. Okay. And Cheryl, when she published Detour later in the 80s, did not hold back. Got it. She's like, thanks, mom. I'll take it from here. Got this one. Check. Yeah. And mm-hmm. was also as unsparing about Lana as Lana was to herself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in like, not in a mommy dearest way. And we're going to come to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a very respectful way. And they ended up being very close later mm-hmm. in their lives. It's just like, hey, this is what went down. And they both were kind of like, yes. Kind of what happened. So a few days before Good Friday, when all of this goes down, Turner confides in her daughter, which she very rarely did. And she said, I'm afraid of him. You've got to help me. So that Friday night, when Cheryl, who is watching TV, hears Johnny Stampinato start screaming at her mother, calling her names, and then the unmistakable sound of him hitting her, she grabs one of the carving knives that Lana and Johnny had just purchased and goes to threaten him. She has no intention of actually using the knife. Sure. She opens the door. Lana tells her to get out. Johnny, according to Lana's memoir, Johnny is on his way out. She's convinced him to leave. He is carrying clothes on a hanger over his shoulder, so his arm is up. Okay. And his hand is behind his back. And Cheryl thinks that he is poised to hit Lana again with something. So she takes a few steps forward. He walks towards her and the knife goes into him. Got it. Okay. And she said for three seconds and four heartbeats, our body was one. (gasps) Got it. So she says he walks into the knife effectively. And yeah. Okay. So she's not necessarily, her, her take is that not, she, she's not necessarily stabbing him. Like he walks was, into the knife and. Yes. Then they sort of stood there. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. He steps back. He immediately collapses in Lana's pink bedroom. Uh, Lana freaks out. No one really knows that she's nicked an artery. And he bleeds out almost instantly. So Lana calls her mother, I think, and then calls the doctor and then calls 911. When the police and her, and she calls her attorney, Jerry Geisler. Oh, Jerry. Ugh. Excellent. When 
when the cops show up, Lana's screaming, let me say I did it. Let me say that I did it. And they say, well, but you didn't. Like, uh, we can't. So naturally, this is a huge front page story. Yeah. It is a giant movie star weeks away from uh, presenting an award of the Oscars and being nominated herself. It is a gangster. It is a daughter protecting her mother. Anything that you could want from a scandal in the 50s, even today, is here in spades. Oh my gosh. So oh my gosh. things happen pretty quickly. They take Cheryl away. Lana is losing her mind. Cheryl's also not doing great. She's 14. Yeah. And the tr so much stuff comes out in the newspapers before and during the trial. Uh, Mickey Cohen is furious that Johnny is dead. He leaks her love letters to Johnny to the newspapers where they are plastered all over the papers. Uh, Hedda Hopper is, has never loved Lana and makes a point of saying that Mickey Cohen and his cohorts doubt Lana's story and think that there was more to it. The rumor immediately begins that she did it and is making her daughter take the blame. And then on top of all of that, Lana has to take the stand to testify, obviously. And she has to tell everyone that she was in an abusive relationship. MGM's glamour goddess yeah. was in an abusive relationship that she could not leave because he was threatening, but also the sex was really good. And there's there's always a lot yeah. of play with right. any abusive right. relationship. But it's also like, and, I'm in an abusive relationship and then well, why didn't you just leave? It's like, yeah. And especially in the 50s, no one had a vocabulary to actually talk about what was happening. Of course. So this is, she thinks that her career is over, basically. Right. Which is not foremost at her mind. Obviously her teenage daughter is on trial. Yes. But this is something that you don't come back. Look at Joan Bennett. She didn't even yeah. pull the trigger. Right. And her right. career was over. And mm -hmm. like, ev like the most sordid details about Lana Turner's life are coming out in the press. And who is going to hire her? There are too many things against her. Not to mention the fact that she was sued for $200,000 by his ex-wife. What? Because <laughs> she would never... She would never Did get alimony money from again. <laughs> yeah. So on top of watching her daughter on trial, Lana's also slapped with a 200k lawsuit. Hey, they, so can I keep keep my alimony checks coming? Can you help me out with that, Lana? How's that going to work? Yeah. Don't don't they, call her. Call Mickey. He should be taking yeah. care of the wives. What the fuck? They I eventually settle for $20,000. God, so she still has to pay this woman? Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. So <clears throat> naturally, Cheryl is found guilty of a lesser charge because obviously she killed Johnny Stampinato. Uh She's remanded to her grandmother's care, her fur request, which also was not great for Lana's image. Right. Not that that is a priority, but just putting things in context. Mm -hmm. uh, and Lana was kind of set to call it a day. Okay. She did not see a future for herself in terms of a career. And then 
Ross Hunter, the producer who had produced Peyton Place, called her and said, Douglas Sirk wants you for the remake of Imitation of Life. And she said, are you, are you sure? He said, oh yeah, no, he, he really wants to talk to you and I'm gonna send you the script. And she reads the script and it is a movie about a very contentious relationship between a mother and daughter. And she thinks, ooh, I don't know. But everyone's on board. Uh, Douglas Sirk and Ross Hunter kind of lavish her with attention. Uh, they spare no expense. It is a huge, splashy movie and it is a ginormous fucking hit. Wow. Okay. It relaunches her career. There are no doubts that she can open a movie anymore. There is no doubt that the public wants to see her and support her. Any qualms that she had that her career was over are gone. Oh my gosh. So she eventually, she has a very successful film career in the 60s. Then it kind of peters out as everyone else did simultaneously. I mean, there was just her movies were no longer popular. Sure. Uh, she tours the country in a stage play. Uh, she does some TV. She doesn't work a lot. She doesn't have to. She's got a shit ton of money and a lot of jewels. And then in the 80s, she does uh, a stint on Falcon Crest as okay. Jane Wyman's rival. Okay. Uh, they did not get on, <laughs> which is not surprising. Uh, and then she, she published a memoir, which was well-reviewed and is again very very good and a few years later her daughter is going to publish her memoir and her daughter came out as a lesbian in her 20s i think and she and okay. lana became much closer and cheryl was doing press about detour and someone said uh what does your mother think about this about your book and she said well mother was a little bit concerned that she might find herself on the receiving end of another mommy dearest but that wasn't really a problem quote Mom wasn't around that much in my life for a mommy dearest. She qualifies perhaps for a long cameo role. <laughs> like a reoccurring, what is it in the tell in limited series? You have like a guest actor or something. Like that. And her lover uh, told her over dinner one night, eventually they started talking about it. And she said, I think it was a very brave and noble thing to go to your mother's defense. And it was the first time anyone had framed it like that for Cheryl. Mm. She said, no one had ever said that what I had done could have been anything but monstrous. My mm. life changed. Oh, that's true. She was, she was just coming to defend her mother. Of course. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But that's so funny that it was not, not funny, but like, I'm surprised that it wasn't framed that way. There was so much else to focus on and everybody Ugh. went for the most salacious aspects. So Lana's right. love letters claiming that Lana also hilariously, right. this became a best-selling novel by Harold Robbins called Where Love Has Gone about uh, a mother and daughter who are both going after the same man <gasps> and the daughter kills him. No. Yes. And they made Ugh. it into a movie and allegedly. She's 14. Ew. Allegedly. Well, it was, I mean, they made them older. She was Well, legal. obviously, but I'm just saying, like, if she's based on them, like, if they're really basing it on real, like, that that whole concept, I think I ooed rather than, like, the actual yes. movie. Yeah. Well, and Lana Turner allegedly was thinking about starring in it until <laughs> someone was like, hey, you know, this is kind of based on you, right? Right. 
She's like, oh, never mind. So they made it with Susan Hayward and Betty Davis as her mother. It is oh. not good. Okay. Where love has gone. Okay, we can skip that one. Understand. Uh, but that is the story of Miss Lana Turner, Miss Cheryl oh Crane, gosh. and Johnny Stampinato. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's crazy. Oh my goodness. That one was yeah. very shocking. And Tawdry. And Lurid. And Lurid. You always hit all the points. Really hit the trifecta. You did. You did. Oh. 